Research shows that the adversity we experience as children can affect us into adulthood. Challenges children face in school and in life are often the symptoms of ACEs and toxic stress. The earlier we can identify toxic stress, the sooner children and families can be connected to the services they need to prevent, manage, and heal from its effects. You're listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of provider screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm Lena Singh. When we talk about ACEs screening, the typical assumption is that we're screening children for adversity. In this episode, we speak with pediatrician R.J. Gillespie about his practice's focus on screening parents and caregivers. Welcome, R.J. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. We invited you onto the show today to talk about ACEs screening. Can you tell me about the work you do in your practice related to this? Sure. So for the last uh, five and a half years, we have been screening parents for their adverse childhood experiences to try to understand how those experiences that parents had from their past might impact their child's uh, development and um, behavior uh, as they grow through those through those early years. And which screening tools do you use? Right now, we are using the, the ACE questions themselves, um, but we've added four additional uh, trauma questions to that that touch on community violence exposure um, that, that talk about um, foster care uh, exposure for the parent and also uh, bullying, prejudice, and uh, racism um, as, as additional ACE questions. And, and so we wanted to have some resilience conversation in addition to just the conversation around trauma. We think that, that talking about just one side without the resilience part is a little bit unbalanced. The other pieces of our tool include a cover letter at the beginning that just explains why we're doing the screening itself, what we intend to do with the information, and a little bit about ACEs and resilience and how that might impact um, uh, children and families. We started initially with the ACE questions, just the, the 10 original ACEs asked one at a time individually and found that many parents didn't feel comfortable disclosing that entire history. Uh, and so we moved to a format where we aggregate the questions and have parents just tell us a number um, uh, of how many of those experiences that they'd had and found that we, we find much more disclosure um, uh, with that kind of process rather than asking the questions individually. So you've mentioned parental resilience a couple of times. What does that mean? Well, I think in the simplest terms, uh, resilience is really about a, a person's ability to kind of roll with it when they're feeling stressed um, or when they have things happen that are scary or upsetting. Why is promoting parental resilience so important? I think that unprocessed stress on the part of the parent can kind of leak out, and that impacts the parent-child uh, bond or relationship. We think that that some of that stress, if it's not processed, and, and if a person doesn't experience resilience to get through that stress, that that might impact res uh, attachment and really affect the child's development down the road. I think the second part is really about modeling. Um, Ken Ginsberg talks about some parenting mantras, and one of his is that kids learn more from what they see their parents do than from what they hear their parents say. And so I think that parents who have good resilience skills and good coping skills um, are able to model that to their children. And so then their children will then in turn learn those stress management and conflict resolution uh, uh, skills through that process of modeling. And are there common fears that you hear from parents in your practice? Well, I think that every parent comes into the practice with at least the baseline fear that they don't really know what they're doing. You know, there's no instruction manual. They, they don't really have a good sense of how to, how to um, uh, proceed in their parenting. 
They um, want to do better for their children, and they're afraid that they're going to pass those experiences on to their kids as well because they don't have any other point of reference in terms of how they decide to be parents. And so that's the common fear that we hear is that they're going to pass some of these negative experiences on to their children as well. And what they universally say when we screen them at four months is that they really want better for their children than what they had experienced themselves. Um, and really without that opportunity to have a safe space, to have those conversations with their pediatricians, if nobody's bringing it up for them, the parents have that fear kind of in the back of their head, but it's an unspoken fear that doesn't end up being addressed very well. And so I think that's really the biggest issue is that parents are looking for that kind of information from their pediatrician. How do I do parenting well? And how do I do parenting that is reflective of my own experiences so that I can do a better job uh, of, of parenting than what might have happened to me? And what would you say to people who think that it might be better for the parent to talk to a mental health provider? about ACEs, for example. Right. Well, I, I certainly think mental health has a significant and substantial role in helping an individual to heal from trauma. But I think that the, the needs are more complex than that. I think that, that also people who've experienced trauma need safe environments to discuss those experiences with other professionals for the education purposes and to learn impact, um, but also to, to understand that their experiences matter and that those experiences are valid. I think that, that a pediatrician has the opportunity to give families a sense of hope that they can do better than what they may have experienced themselves and that we as professionals are willing to help. And how have you found that talking to parents about their own ACEs affects the provider-parent relationship? Well, I certainly think that that, that openness about um, talking about uh, those experiencing experiences and creating a safe environment for the family has has um, had very positive impacts on on families. Again, if you're walking around with this sort of unspoken fear that the things in your past may come out in your parenting techniques, um, to have that brought out into the open in a way that's not judgmental and that's not shaming and that is supportive of the family really helps them to feel more confident bringing their concerns to us. For example, I've had at least 15 times in the last five years where a parent has revealed domestic violence to me at a subsequent visit. Because they know that I'm concerned about these issues and that I'm willing to help them sort through these issues. And so I think that that demonstrates to me that the, the level of trust has changed in the relationship. We also know that, you know, parents who um, feel like they're listened to uh, end up engaging in more of the resilience kind of activities, uh, resilience building activities and developmental promotion activities. We found that from the National Survey of Children's Health. So if, if parents feel like they're being listened to with compassion, that their provider is spending the needed time, that, um, that they're more likely to engage in some of the things that, that, that we want them to do, that's all based on, on really the relationship um, uh, becoming more trusting and, and more positive from having these conversations. And how has ACE screening had an impact on your medical practice? I think on a daily basis, I just have a better understanding of where parents are coming from. Um, and I'm certainly able to do parenting advice that is more meaningful and more impactful for, for individuals. Um, I, I think also that, that many times the things that we assume are a mental health or, or um, behavioral health issue once you've looked at it with a trauma lens, you have a different understanding of what's really going on. Um, for example, we have many kids. I had a, a couple of kids recently who um, 
came to foster parents um, because of some kind of complex trauma, and um, the the school and the the foster parents are very concerned that the child has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I think in in the past, without having an understanding of how trauma would have impacted that child's functioning, I might have been more inclined to you know medicate them perhaps for ADHD. But I think that understanding that that trauma often mimics some of these other syndromes um, really changes how we do things uh, um, from from that perspective. I always think of one um, family in particular when um, when I did the ACE screen for that family the, for the first time, and it was with their second child. The first child was um, a couple years older, and we hadn't done the, the, the screening for that child. It turns out that mom had had um, some pretty significant experiences. You know, she uh, was abandoned by her mother when she was two, and her father um, went on to have um, some mental illness and some substance abuse problems, and she felt what she would describe as as neglect had happened during those years as well. And when I asked her the very simple question of, you know, how do you think these things affect your parenting now, which is one of the questions I ask all of my positive um, uh, screens, um, she said, well, you remember with my first child when we were having all those sleep problems and you had suggested that it was okay to let him cry for a little bit. I couldn't do it because I felt like I was abandoning my kid the way that my mom had abandoned me. And she was able to look at it with a little bit different perspective. But I was also able to understand why my advice had never worked for her. You know, I had kind of gone down this sort of aggressive sleep training uh, path with her. And she didn't, she wasn't able to do that. Uh, And so we were able to talk about what she was confident in doing and how we could get dad involved because he didn't have the same triggers that mom did. And so just helping one family at a time with those sort of understanding how their own experiences might trigger something uh, is really how I practice differently now. And in your presentations, I've heard you talk about modifiable resilience factors. What, what are those? First one is, is really education about trauma and what the effects of trauma could be. Uh, the second is attending to maternal mental health, understanding, first of all, that, you know, if there are um, problems in, 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 in parents in terms of depression and postpartum depression, that that um, is an ace for the family or for the children, uh, but also that um, that might impact the attachment between the, the, the parent and child. The third is really helping people to understand when negative things happen, that's not because you're a bad person, that's because, you know, bad luck happened and that we can help you get through it. Um, the fourth is positive parenting skills and really kind of c- counseling families through um, good, positive, healthy ways to do parenting. And the last is about self-care skills and routines. We use the analogy of uh, the airplane, right, where you're told to put your own oxygen mask before helping others. And it's the same way with parenting, that you need to be able to take care of yourself before you're able to take care of another human being. And so those are the five uh, main modifiable resilience factors. Uh, and again, really things that, that as, um, as pediatricians, we can help to enforce and to educate about so that um, hopefully the families will become more resilient themselves and that the kids will learn some of those resilient skills through modeling as well. When I was in training um, 20 years ago, kindergarten readiness was pretty much about, like, are you toilet trained and can you tie your shoes? And over the years, there was uh, a lot of thought into, well, maybe we need to make sure kids know some letters and numbers. Um, And now we're kind of looking at it more about social-emotional health and really how do kids connect with a teacher and how do kids connect with their peers. Uh, But on the flip side, when kids enter kindergarten, 
behind or with deficits uh, in their development, a lot of times uh, we can predict which kids are going to end up having school failure problems later on. And, and so really focusing on those resilience factors in early childhood and focusing on, on the relational health in early childhood between parents and their kids is going to predict how well those kids are able to, again, connect with their, their peers and their teachers and then succeed in school. So those resilience factors, I think, really are very important for lifelong health and for a life course that ends up being healthy as well. I know you've shared some stories with us already. Can you tell us um, about an experience with a parent who was screened in your clinic for ACEs and how your relationship with that parent impacted his or her child's health trajectory? I have another mom who, um, again, same sort of situation as the earlier story where we weren't screening when her first child came through. We were screening when her second child came through. And, and she was a mom that I had always really struggled with because she would come into a visit with literally 70 to 80 questions every time she came in. And, and I, I wasn't able to keep up with the typing <laughs> to, to, to document all of her questions. And there wasn't even physically space in the, in the fields in my electronic health record to track everything that she was asking. And when we did the screening with her second child, and it turns out she'd had some horrible experiences with her mom doing a lot of, of, of body shaming to her and, and kind of um, verbal abuse, and then also her father being killed um, uh, when she was fairly young. And it became obvious from the conversation that, that, that her reaction, which looked a lot like OCD, was really about um, wanting to make sure that she was doing something better and different for her child than what had happened to, to her. Um, and so we were able to kind of have that conversation about how that trauma might impact some of her triggers and some of her parenting now. And so then the next couple of times that she came in for visits, she had two or three questions. Um, and I think what it took for that mom was really to have somebody say, I understand where you're coming from. I get you. You're not a bad person. I'm here to help you. Um, there's a, a phrase in trauma-informed care that says that, um, you know, we often ask what's wrong with you instead of what's happened to you. Or another way of putting this is that we only see behaviors. We don't see the backstory behind that behavior. And so I think when we take that time to sort of understand where somebody's coming from and really take a look at that backstory, the behaviors that we see on a daily basis make much more sense. And what that allows me to do is put aside my own judgments and my own reactions about why a parent is behaving the way that they are and really reach out to help them instead of being you know, offended or upset or um, puzzled by a family's behavior, I'm able to put that aside and really say, here's, here's what this family truly needs at this particular moment. And, and I know that that mom is doing better than what was done for her because she's asking all the right questions at this point. So again, it's not something I have proof about, but I know she's asking the right questions. What I want to look at now is how do we, um, how do we remove that risk from that child, right? So if um, we're able to do some interventions specifically around attachment and, tune, and attunement and, and kind of um, quantify the conversations that we're having so that they're consistent with every family and that we're giving them some of the same advice and some of the same pointers and some of the same activities and exercises to do, uh, are we able to prevent some of those failed developmental screens? And are we able to eventually, hopefully, improve parent resilience as well? Which, again, is sort of our, our next big idea and our next intention in terms of where we go with our, our screening program. And given all the different ways in which practices can and do screen for ACEs, what advice can you offer to other providers that are just beginning to think about screening? 
Yeah, I think that 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 if you're if you're looking for trauma and you're looking um, to to screen for trauma, whether that's for children or for parents, answering the question of what are you going to do when it when you find it is the most important step. There's been concern that um, that screening might be triggering or upsetting or somehow re-traumatizing to a family, and I think that if you do a screening process that is um, is based on compassion and based on um, concern and kindness and empathy for the families, you won't run into that problem. But I do think you have to have some clear ideas about what you're going to do with the results when you find it. And I think that, that when it comes to screening for trauma, the message of silence tells the family that they're not safe having that conversation or that that office is not a safe place to have that conversation. And so I think you have to commit to having a follow-up conversation on every single screen um, before you can do that. So I think that, that that to me is the biggest piece of advice is know what you're going to do when you find a positive result. Thank you so much, RJ, for taking time to speak with us today. Of course. That was RJ Gillespie, a pediatrician in Portland, Oregon, who is leading ACES screening quality improvement and policy work for early childhood systems. You've been listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of providers screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm your host, Lena Singh. Our editor is Jennifer Marshall. This episode was mixed by Francesca Fenzi and Muna Danish. Ben Manila is our executive producer. This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Youth Wellness as part of the National Pediatric Practice Community on ACEs and made possible by funding from the JPB Foundation, Genentech, Cal Endowment, and the Hearst Foundation. The music was composed by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.